You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Arlen here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guests today. This is a special edition of The Courage to Lead, uh, where I've asked uh, previous guests to come back and form a panel where we can discuss the topic of the great resignation. Um, I will go around and introduce you to each one of the panel guests and ask them an introductory question, and then we'll just kind of get into a full discussion. So again, thank you, everybody, for coming back on the program. It's great to see you all and have you here. First, the great resignation was coined, or the term was accredited to Anthony Klotz, an organizational psychologist and professor of management at Mays Business School at Texas A&M in May of 2021, when he predicted uh, a sustained mass exodus from the workforce. Now, great resignation has inspired other terms describing work revolution, uh, witnessing as either the great resignation, great reimagination, the great reset, the great uh, reshuffle, the great reevaluation. That's my favorite term. Um, in your words, would you agree with that title or do you think it's something else going on? Uh, I'd like to start with uh, Portia Parker Griffin. Portia is founder and CEO of Fly High Coaching. She has a bachelor's degree in uh, psychology and a master's degree in industrial and organizational psychology. She's a millennial performance advisor and specializes in helping companies attract, hire, and retain high caliber employees. Portia, mm-hmm. welcome to the program. Thank you. So what do you, do you see this as the great uh, resignation or would you categorize it as something else? Oh, uh, that is a very uh, deep question. Um, I think it's, I think to start with resignation uh, is fine because I think resignation is the action that we're seeing a lot of people take, right? But I do think to your point that there's more going on be beneath the surface, I'll say, right? So people are reimagining things. People are reshuffling things, you know, whether that be in their life or in their head, the ideas and passions and desires that they have. Um, But I do think that the great resignation is a good way to think about it because that's the action that we're seeing people take. I know um, the U.S. Department of Labor, when they talk about how many millions of people have quit their job every month, you know, since 2021, when they've been really tracking this, um, have been looking at those statistics specifically. So I think that's a good way to kind of think about it, but to know that there's more going on. Okay, great. Um, Please welcome Dr. Joanna Pagonis. Joanna is Chief Executive Officer of Sinogap Solutions, a leadership consulting firm helping organizations invest in workplace strategies that go beyond normative training practices so their companies can evolve to become true learning organizations. Uh, She's also the author of the book, Choose to Be a Leader Others Would Want to Follow. Joanna, welcome to the show. Thank you. And thanks for allowing me to sneak in a little late. <laughs> oh, no worries. No worries. Nobody saw. You didn't have to draw attention to nobody saw. So uh, what do you think? The great resignation, in your own words, do you agree with that? Or do you think it's something else? Well, I'm going to like lead off of what Portia was saying, because she has a very good point. Like there's, I always like to dig deeper into the root cause issues. And sometimes I think certain words make great titles. Um 
and uh, are, are ways to just get a lot of traction, right? Or get people to like or read your blog. But what's really going on, and sometimes I feel like when I'm reading those articles about the great resignation, I'm not getting the root cause. And so I go searching for that on my own. And just in Canada, so I'm, I'm Canadian, so I'm going to give you the Canadian perspective. But over the last couple of years, when you look at how many women have left the workforce because of the mm-hmm. pandemic, and it's not necessarily because they've had an awakening that I don't like this job. I don't like my employer, right? I need a change. Some of them have had to make those hard decisions that I can't keep taking care of my family and my kids, my elderly parents while we're going through a pandemic. Some of them, their hand has been forced to go back to to, to leave work and stay at home, right? Because they just Mm -hmm. can't do it on. Unfortunately, because women tend to have more of the domestic duties traditionally, uh, they're the ones who are then saying, I'm going to sacrifice my job. Uh, Many women don't make the same money as their male counterparts do. And so when you look at a, a two household income, who's going to, who's going to quit? It's probably the one that's making the lower income and most likely it's the woman. So sometimes that those are the issues and they're important to look at because what can we do better? Mm. No, great point. Great point. Um, next, Neelam Sharma. Neelam is a leadership and executive coach, talent development consultant. She has over 25 years experience in the corporate world in the areas of organizational development, training, and facilitation. Neelam, welcome back to the program. Thank you. So what do you think? The great resignation. You know, uh, I've already learned some new perspectives here from Portia and Johanna, and I appreciate that. So the way I look at it is as a reevaluation. The reason I like your term uh, in particular is because it really describes to me what has been going on for a while. The great resignation is kind of, as Portia put it, the action, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it happened overnight. I think it happened, has been happening over time as we reevaluate how we show up for work and what is acceptable to us uh, in our work life. And so I think, I think all the terms serve us in understanding it differently and giving us giving us different perspectives, but I like the reevaluation term myself. Yeah, same here, absolutely. Uh, Lisa Mezzatesta. Lisa is currently Senior Manager of Organizational Change and Process Excellence at a major packaging company in Atlanta. Almost 30 years as an organizational change innovator, supporting companies like Coca-Cola, Pfizer, and the U.S. Army. Lisa, what do you think? Great resignation. Yeah, I'm tempted to call it the great bite me. But in all seriousness, I'd like to call it the great attraction. Because if people are leaving, most everyone's going somewhere. Where are they going? How how are the companies who are attracting the talent pool attracting them? How are they keeping them? Um, How are you uh, retaining your employees? What leadership styles need to go into that? You can't lead the same way you did before we were out for two years. So I'm going to call it the great attraction because I'm coaching my leadership team right now through, we need to make sure we keep our talent and make sure they're not part of the great resignation. That's mine. No, that's a great point. Yeah. How do you attract those people that are, that are looking, right? Um, finally, Jeff Bartholomew. Jeff is founder of Everest Business Coaching, certified focal point coach. He has over 30 years experience in sales sales leadership and global sales. 
He's also founder and president of Royal Lynx Golf Tours, where he helps golfers enjoy world-class golf experiences in Scotland, Ireland, England, Wales, and now Italy. Jeff, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Sure. I, guess I, I, know it's, I, know it's, I know it's late for you, Jeff, but I appreciate you being awake at this hour. So thank <laughs> you so much. Um, what do you think? Great resignation. Yeah, I think uh, going back to what Lisa said, the great attraction, uh, I might call it the great upgrade. Okay. The people are upgrading careers. So I, I, I think I saw last year that uh, there were some, I want to say it was somewhere around 70 million people left their jobs and for various reasons, some were fired, some got laid off, but 47 million voluntarily quit and they're looking for something, um, something that they're not getting culturally. Um, more than a third left because they felt they were underpaid. Another third left because they felt that they were disrespected at work. Um, and a bunch felt that there was no upward mobility where they were. I think the other thing that, that strikes me is that I think there's generational differences. People that are over 55 are less likely to leave a job, whereas uh, millennials and then the younger generation are more likely to leave. Sure. And they're looking for more meaning out of their work and are, are willing to leave for, for more altruistic reasons than someone that's my age, let's say. No, I think that's a great point. And you're right. A lot of people are are, are leaving. I, I, the reason I don't like the resignation is because people didn't just resign and go up into the hills and become a hermit, right? They did take a job somewhere else, to Lisa's point. They went somewhere. So there are other reasons behind this, right? Um, there's one article that I read uh, talking about the, the name, the title, Great Resignation, is based on other significant um, economic events in our history, right? The Great Depression, the Great Recession, great being the, the, the length of time or the impact it has. Um, it said the millions of workers in the U.S. left the jobs during the summer and fall of 2021. Surveys revealed that many more were considering it. Uh, reports revealed, in addition to personal reasons, majority of workers were motivated to leave their jobs due to unsatisfactory treatment by their employers during the pandemic. So, uh, Jeff, you brought up the point, so I'll come back to you. Uh, we talk a lot about employee engagement, right? So was the pandemic the impetus or catalyst for this? Or has this been something that's kind of been brewing and this was just a great opportunity to, to take off? What do you think? Well, I think that the fact that people were sitting at home alone with a lot more time on their hands gave them time to think about, you know, am I getting meaning from work? Do I enjoy what I'm doing? And I think... On a less cynical note, I think what may have happened is you had last year, in August last year, there were, I'm going to try and get the numbers right, 10.4 million jobs available and 7.4 million unemployed people. So in an uncynical view, there was a lot more opportunity out there. Um, you know, my son left a job and he upgraded. So I like the, I like the term the great upgrade. Yeah. To uh, and, and he got a signing bonus, which is a common thing now that Lisa, you, you may be seeing. But I, I saw in getting ready for today, it, it reminded me of something. There was a movie in 1976, so before Portia certainly was born, and it was called Network. <clears throat> and the star was a guy named Peter Finch, and he's a broadcast uh, or network broadcaster, newscaster who's fed up with 
what's going on in the world. And he said, um, I'm a human being. My, my life has meaning and I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Yeah. And he asked everyone to get up and go to their windows and, and scream that out the window. <laughs> but there was something about that, that I'm a human being. My life has meaning. I mean, people were feeling that maybe not in this context um, 45 years ago. I, yeah. I, I saw another commercial where a guy said, I want a job I don't hate. <laughs> right. I mean, it's not like they're asking for the some t- people aren't asking for the moon, but they do want to, to know that their life, their work has to mean. Exactly. Lisa, you had your hand up. So in response to Jeff saying we're sitting home a, alone. So I I think to add on to that, Jeff, there were, you know, a section of folks who weren't sitting home alone, you know, online school, homeschooling, I got the dog, the vet, you know, uh, husband, wife, um, all these things that are happening in your life. And you learn to adapt to all of that. And you find that you have more variety or more um, time with your family or more time for the things you want. And you have this flexibility to actually accomplish. I think it's really a matter of, wait, I just adapted and I kind of like it, and I don't appreciate somebody else telling me I have to adapt again. So I think that's a, a big piece of it. We're not sitting home alone. Some of us. Right. Well, I think the other thing that happened, I think companies saw productivity went up. Right. So I think that's why a lot of companies are saying, well, we'll let people continue to work from home. Other companies said, yeah, productivity went up, but innovation went down. Hmm. Interesting. Well, and I think, though, that innovation going down, let's not forget the psychological effect of what we went through. It was traumatic for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. And I think this papering over of that is, you know, is not beneficial to any of us. And so maybe innovation went down. I don't know, maybe. But I think there's things that were uh, factors that were at play then that aren't now as much. And so I think that's sort of um, a kind of a short-sighted way of looking at it personally. I'm just going to build off of what uh, Neelam was saying. Yeah. Cause my first question too was like, well, how do you define innovation? So I appreciate you saying we were in crisis psychological tolls around what we experienced for the last couple of years. I, I would tell my clients, like, don't underestimate that. Just don't think life is normal. We're just working from home. Everything's good. Like people like are distressed through this experience for many different reasons. So maybe it's redefining what innovation is right. and maybe innovation. This is what a lot of leaders are telling me. What did you learn over the last couple of years? And what they said was, oh my God, like it was tough. But one of the things I was so surprised about was how everybody stepped up to the plate and shared resources, made sacrifices to support others and figure out new ways to work. I would define that as innovation. Sometimes it's the little things that make the biggest impact. One guy called it experimenting in the margins. You know, it's just trying to do a little something different to meet what the critical need is now, identify the gap and fill it. So 
I challenge organizational leaders to sometimes redefine things a little bit, right? What, what does productivity actually look like and how do you measure that that takes into account people and innovation for that matter? Yeah, good point. So up there in Canada, what are, are, are people walking away? You guys have experienced a lot of the same things you hear in the States. What are people walking away from or what are they walking towards? Okay, that's a very good question. So I just gave a keynote the talk. It was at a safety conference. And so obviously safety was a big portion of like a focus of what I was talking about, but it was ultimately leadership and the purpose of having a strong leadership philosophy or purpose. And what I ultimately shared in terms of like, why does it even matter? So even building on what Lisa said before about the importance of like, what kind of leaders are we looking for? How are we developing them? How are we selecting them? The new type of leaders we need to lead us through the the next, um, into the future one of the things that I said is uh, there was a research study that had been done through a, a magazine called Occupational Health and Safety, and they wanted to assess the incidences of bullying and harassment over the last couple of years. So racism, um, sexual harassment, um, you know, when you look at harassment on a larger scale in terms of what that actually means. And so they asked people, how many of you have experienced some form of harassment or bullying over the last two years? And out of, I think it was 4,875 people, 71.4% said they had experienced that. Can you imagine if your organization had nearly, you know, 72% of the people had experienced that? Where's that sense of well-being, belonging, and my organization actually cares about me and is doing something to help me? And so I think maybe this is what potentially we're seeing as to why maybe people are reevaluating, reassessing, and, and wanting to go to a place where they feel safe. You know, we got we got thrust into complexity. We didn't necessarily choose it because of that pandemic. There was already so many external factors that made us feel unsafe. Do we need to feel continually unsafe too? Like, do we have to then deal with bullying and harassment and work too on top of everything else? Like, where's the care and compassion? I think what we maybe saw in some organizations was the focus on the bottom line. I don't think it works anymore. Maybe we could get away with it, but now things are different. Uh, and I think it's, the cracks are beginning to show. I think so. Absolutely. So Portia, um, are you seeing employers embracing this new environment, the dispersed workforce and, and things like that? Or uh, what changes are most important that, that maybe they, you know, to re-engage their employees um, and, and get them back or, or, or make sure that they are comfortable in this new environment? What do you think is necessary? What's needed? Good questions there. Um, to the first point about are they embracing it? Um, I think what we're seeing is that it kind of depends on the industry. Um, some industries, I think, are uh, more willing to and quicker to adapt and change than others. Um, and so that's a kind of a point of distinction that we're noticing. Um, when it comes to, you know, their willingness to engage employees, I think uh, to go back to one of Jeff's points before, and this is something that we talk with a lot of our clients about, um, we look at what we call multi-generational uh, workplace issues, right? And so that whole idea of engagement, uh, sometimes it can look different depending on uh, the generation of employee that you're trying to engage. Um, and then to the point of, you know, thinking about uh, going back to normal, right? And and can we just do that quickly? And uh, what I've, you know, heard from, you know, other panelists, I'll say is that 
you know, ignoring the change, I don't think is really going to be sustainable. Um, when you think about it from a generational perspective, a lot of millennials, when they kind of came into the workforce and became, uh, you know, I guess more heavily studied, some of the things that they wanted were different. And so having desires for more, more remote work and things like that um, were things that they already wanted. And I think the pandemic to, you know, your previous questions kind of made that a reality for more people. Um, Gen Zers as well want more flexibility and they expect that. So to think that, hey, we're just going to go back to the way things were and engage employees the way that we used to, I don't think is, is really a sound strategy. Absolutely. Neelam, what do you think? What changes are most important to engage or re-engage employees? Well, you know, it kind of makes me think about a lot of what I've been reading about redefining what success looks like for an organization, what success looks like for individuals in that organization, and thinking about is the as as someone else also brought up, is the bottom line the only thing now? So I'm I've been around a while. And I remember in my early corporate years, it was everybody talked about, okay, well, it is the bottom line because we've got to make money in order to keep people employed, in order to stay in business. Yes, all of those things are true. However, that is not the only truth. Uh, And work should not, in my view, work should not be something you do just because you have a mortgage or you have bills to pay. Uh, You know, I think we are put on this earth to live fulfilling lives if we can. Not all of us have that luxury and privilege, obviously, um, but it, for the most part, we shouldn't go to work and hate our jobs. But it, you know, my father did not love his job. And I was taught that it's okay, you can have a life outside of work. I think people are coming to that place now of, but why? Why can't I feel good and happy and fulfilled doing work and getting a paycheck for it? So, and I I think the whole um, idea of profit over everything is an idea that needs to to die. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it is, I think it is. Lisa, Elon Musk basically told his employees, you know, get your blankety blank back to work 40 hours a week in the office or else. Um, From an organizational change standpoint, (laughs) I think that's bad communication. What do you think? Uh, Was that a smart move or will it backfire on MTT? So um, I think uh, that memo was really pointed at his executive level folks. Uh, and not everyone in the whole company. And and to be clear, he's got a bunch of plant people who have already been there 40 hours or more. So with that context, um, I have some strong feelings about this. So if you remember the TV show House, House treated people horribly because he was brilliant. And I will put up with being treated like crap because I want to work with the brilliant person. Probably a controversial prediction, but here it is. I think he's going to lose a lot of his executives. I think a lot of those people who have worked with him for a while and have sucked in a lot of his knowledge and have put up with a lot of his 
executive leadership style uh, will probably leave him in the next 12 to 18 months when they find something good, better, or someone who's uh, just as good, but they get treated better. So answering the question now, clearly, I think he's going to lose some of his top talent, especially in the executive level. That's possible. Absolutely. I mean, I was on a project years ago up in the Boston area and uh, working with the manager up there who basically said, my employees will do what I tell them or they'll be outside looking. Right. And kind of warn him, hey, you know, that's that's great and all, (laughs) but you're probably going to lose your top people and you're probably going to lose your very bottom people who are barely hanging on now, which is going to leave that mediocre middle. Right. And productivity is going to flop. Your uh, right. quality is going to flop, and everything like that. I, I have a but the, the thing is, people don't do the correlation, right? Because it, right. because this thing happens, this event, and then the the effect of it doesn't really manifest for the next year, eighteen months, and the correlation between I wrote a stupid email or I put too much pressure on folks maybe isn't connected as much as it should be, like you did that. These people just waited to find a better job. Yeah. And, you know, the exit interview is too damn late to figure that out. Yes, absolutely. That's my 100%. opinion. Well, if so, I can just add to what Lisa said, sorry, really? Helen, if that's okay. Yeah. I mean, I just read another article that when it comes to safety infractions, they are the worst in the automobile industry. They have yeah. the worst track record. So yeah. remember I talked about 71.4% of people are experienced, like safety is psychological and mm-hmm. physical, but the psychological part too, they're, they're going through, they're experiencing a lot of a lawsuits around racism, sexual harassment. So I'm like already, they're beginning to feel pain. The employees, the front line, the operators are beginning to feel pain. Now the executives are feeling it. And if leaders are the ones that set the tone of the culture, when you're asking them to overwork, what messages are you sharing with everybody else? And Lisa, you're right. During the pandemic, didn't they lock everybody in and they had to live there? He did. I think he assumed that all of his employees would too. Imagine living in an automobile factory for like months on end because he's an overworker everybody else has to. Right. Well, the, the trick is he got all the benefit of staying there, right? I think it was like three years almost he stayed uh, and he was there all the time. Well, he had a direct link to the benefit of that. There are people at his executive and maybe mid-management level who don't directly get, I mean, they do in their salaries or some of their benefits package, but it's not the same as him staying there for that long. And, you know, a lot of businesses like that, the Teslas and things, right? They're kind of aspirational for people. If you are an aerospace engineer, you want to go to work for Lockheed Martin or for Boeing, right? If you're an electrical engineer, maybe you want to work for Tesla. Um, I don't know. Jeff, what do you think? Are, are, are people going to cave in and return to Tesla or are they going to walk? What do you think? Um, I, I think the executives, I think people that have uh, stock options and are becoming millionaires because they've hung in at Tesla are going to stay. I don't. I don't think you're going to be able to to blow them out. I think the the bad management practices of Elon Musk are very overt. But I think people, everyday people, put up with silently put up with bad managers all day long, right? That you know, a mid level manager at Delta Airlines or at some other company. I'm not picking on Delta Airlines, but um, they're silently dealing with very, very bad management. And 42% of people quit managers because of bad managers, not because of the company. And I think you may have people that quit 
um, you know, Tesla because of Musk, but um, it's because of him, not because of the company per se. I, that's a difficult one because he's so emblematic or symbolic of that company, but um, you know, um, they, they make amazing products and people want to be a part of that. Let me, can I go back to something Johanna said earlier? Safety is not just physical safety. When you feel like you're putting up with crap just for the purposes of putting up with crap, that's not safe. That's not mentally safe. And, and I think what's happening to those of us at this age level is we're realizing we can do what the millennials do. I don't have to do this. I want value. I've always wanted it. It's not new for me to want it. I can get it now. That's well, I that's think where there's I'm something else. I think there's something else that maybe you're not saying. Um, I've got a speaker event that we're that I'm going to be hosting next week. And I'll invite everyone to come to it. It's called Empowering um, Women Businesses. And um, I came up with the idea and I pitched it to uh, someone I know that a couple of you know, Kristen Sellier. And when she told me horror stories about how women are treated in business, right? Like, like we, I've never heard these stories. And those are only the stories they tell, Jeff. Right. I mean, it's we never shocking. Heard. Yeah. Yeah. It's shocking that people would treat other people this way. Um, and it's shocking that. Um, women have either come accustomed to it, don't report it, um, or have become numb to it and just feel like, well, that's the way it is. It's it's very disturbing to me. Yeah. Well, now pile on a non-white woman. So I'll leave that alone. Let somebody else tackle that one. Well, yeah, that just amplifies everything. Um, Could I jump in just for a second? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So I um, related to what you all were talking about, not not to beat this to to death here, but I actually had a coaching client from one of Elon Musk's companies Hmm. and uh, she was an engineer. And so SpaceX and all all I can say, and she was a woman of color. um, So all I can say is that the culture reflects the leader Mm. and um, people yes this person in particular wanted to work there because you know you talked about Lockheed Martin but SpaceX is the is the sexy one now you know uh, and they're going to space so but I just wondered how long I I, it's just not sustainable I didn't say that to her but I couldn't believe what she was talking about and that it was that it was happening and it reflected the leader of that company in my view. Sure. But those things have been going on in companies for years. Has this just brought it to the forefront to where we're seeing it more or hearing about it more? I think it's a perfect storm. I think there's a lot of factors. I mean, you look at the uh, protests that happened during the pandemic how so many of us learned about history, uh, you know, that that happened here in this country and we had no idea. And, uh, you know, and I'm a history buff. So I think learning that there were so many things hidden from us, however they were hidden, 
And then being in a place uh, during a time when we had more thinking time than we used to, we're not running from one thing to another because we were stuck in our houses. And that great reevaluation, that redefinition of what, so I think a lot of things came together to, to bring us to this place of, yeah, I, I put up with a lot of stuff and now I don't want to anymore. Exactly. Well, I think, I think the other thing um, that happened is I think the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter movement, I think it caused a lot of people to reflect on their personal values. And um, in my case, it, it made me wonder about actions that I'd taken in the past. Did I offend anyone? Did I, obviously not intentionally, but was my behavior appropriate all times over the last 30 years of my career? Yeah. Um, and I know people who've taken very dramatic action. Um, I know a couple of us know Peter Chattel mm -hmm. and uh, the George Floyd killing changed his life. I mean, he became very reflective, very active, very outspoken based on that event. And I know that um, that may be an extreme example of someone that um, felt compelled to, to take action, but I think it, the events of the past three years have, have, have made a lot of people reflect on their views um, and, and their values and their behavior. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um, one quick thing to kind of echo, I think what we're all kind of saying here is that I do think the pandemic and the other events that have happened have really empowered people um, to make changes and to not look at things from a different perspective. So that whole idea of I'm not going to take it anymore and I don't have to sit by, you know, uh, quietly and, and take crap. Right. Um, I think more people are comfortable speaking on that. And, uh, to the generational point earlier that we were talking about and that Lisa mentioned, uh, you know, a lot of millennials kind of didn't necessarily feel like they had to stay in a job to the same degree agree as some older generations did. Uh, but I think everybody is having that, that awareness. Everyone is having that conversation, whether it be in their head or with other people um, and groups about, you know, just different things that they're unsatisfied with. Um, and to what Neelam was saying earlier, I also have a lot of clients who are uh, people of color. And, um, you know, sometimes I think, they don't always feel comfortable even bringing something up because they don't right. want it to be cliche. They don't want someone to say, this is, you know, a figment of your imagination. This is the race card, anything like that. And I think um, just with the sentiment now, people feel uh, as though they can bring up topics. And so again, you know, if you don't like your job or if you didn't like how someone spoke to you or some kind of scenario, just talking about that um, has kind of caused more of this change, I think. Well, I think, well, the, I, I think you know, the other I, thing on the millennial piece, I'm sorry, Harlan, the millennial no, okay. piece very quickly. Okay. You know, at the beginning, we were talking about searching for a reason. Like, um, you know, I think Neelam said that she's looking for the root cause. And um, if you look back at a millennial's life, they saw their parents go through 9-11, where millions of people got laid off because of that, the impact on the economy. 2008, 2009, the, the recession that we had, 
more people lost their jobs, their parents, which caused a great distrust of them in big institutions. And so that's one of the reasons that why would I want to go to work for these big companies that um, don't have any loyalty or, you know, hey, my father's the best or my mother's the best. And look, they got laid off from some big XYZ company. Yeah. No, exactly. And I, I think um, we were all faced with our own mortality because of the pandemic, right? We know somebody who uh, died, somebody who was near death, and it made us start thinking. Again, that's why I, I, I like the reevaluation. Is this really where I want to be? Is this what I want to be doing for the rest of my life? Or could I be doing something else that's more fulfilling, right? Um, Neelam, from a talent development standpoint, um, I guess you would say this is an employee's market, right? If so, uh, like what trends are you seeing? Is this, like Jeff was saying, there's a lot of open positions, but not a lot of people out of a job right now. And I know companies that are struggling to try to find employees and everything like that. It seems like this is a, a great marketplace for people. Is that is that right or no? That, I'm definitely seeing that in a lot of the clients that I'm coaching now. They are talking about their jobs as, okay, this is what I've been doing, but now I want to think about what I want to do. And so those jobs that are open, you know, I can't speak to all of them. I don't mm -hmm. know, but it feels like if I get to choose, which they are, you know, with the signing bonus, Jeff, I think you were saying your son got that. I've heard of other people getting that. And so you, they, companies are in the position of you better make it good. You better make the offer good, or as Lisa said, make the job good enough that you don't, your people aren't leaving for another. Exactly. And so I think my clients, uh, the, the, the coaching clients, so the individuals are, are looking at their jobs and trying, some of them trying to make them different while they're there. And they have the power to do that now. A little bit. And then if it doesn't happen, well, where else can I go? And what are the benefits like? And do I get, it's kind of like selling your house right now, right? right. <laughs> People are buying houses without even looking at them. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of the same thing. Um, so it's, it's a, yeah. I think a job seekers market. So what are employees asking for when they negotiate their jobs? What kind of things are they looking for in these new roles? You know, I hear more than anything else more fulfilling work and more, I found this uh, encouraging and surprising, more heart-centered work. Okay. And these are engineers. I'm, I work with a lot of tech uh, folks and I hear it from them. Yeah. Definitely. Joanna. Yeah, to build off of what Neelam was saying, there was this great... Um, article that I read through Gallup and they were looking at the, we're talking a lot about genera generational issues and what do employees want now from their employers mm -hmm. and what leaders need to be cognizant of. And they looked at young, I'm just looking at it now, but young millennials, older millennials, Gen X and baby boomers. So they looked at across mm -hmm. four generations and they looked mm -hmm. at the top three things and they were very similar. So, you know, we talk a lot about generational differences, but I thought this was interesting because there was more similarities than differences. So sure. although Ordinarily, they're, they're, they they rank different things rank differently, but the three were always the same, just in different positions. It was uh, ethical leadership, 
So, you know, like that they're not breaking the law, that, you know, care about the environment, you know, that um, they can show what they've done at the light of day. And it's, you know, it stands on its own. Transparent, show us the data, show us like, you know, how what we're doing is making an impact. The other one was um, the organization cares about employees' well-being. So I think that links back to what Neelam was saying. Do they care about me? Am I valued? How do they demonstrate that? And that was that existed in all three different positions. Uh, young millennials, it was number one, whereas Gen X, it was number two. Uh, baby boomers was number two as well. So I mean, like, there's actually more similarities and differences. So I think that's what they're looking for. And that you got to put your money where your mouth is. So it's great that you're going to give me a big signing bonus. But then what happens after I've started working there? How do you make me feel included? How are my decisions involved in, in overall decision making? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Lisa, has this uh, what impact has this had on leadership styles? What are how are leaders changing, or how should they change? Mm. So, when I hear those top three things, I hear trust. I hear I hear that you know the underlying emotion is trust. If you trust me, you'll show me the data. If you trust me, you'll bring me in on the why. If you trust me, you won't uh, want me to come back in the office and tell me I'm pretending to work. So um, in my mind, there is um, a shift in uh, do what I say and a little bit more. Let's talk about why we're doing this. Let's talk about you know, what the overall goal is. Let's, let's everyone have a contribution. Um, in the company that I'm working with now, uh, they have done the Berkman assessment, which is my first time even encountering Berkman. I didn't know what it was before this. And they're going to roll it out and make sure that everyone in the leadership development, by the way, leadership development's a big piece, roll that out and then reveal what our senior leadership team's results were as well, so that we all understand our individual working styles. So this just openness about how we work. I think that's a big piece of it. And I think um, understanding the flexibility of the hours. Mm. So I'll tell you, for me, I do not work well on details, like a spreadsheet analysis at six o'clock at night. Please don't send me an email and say, I need this back by tomorrow morning. So first of all, bite me <laughs> back to that. Yeah. Uh, second of all, um, if I could just do that in the morning, I promise you'll get a better product. And I think an understanding of how we work and what the flexibility is too. So trust, um, and this sort of comes down to trust, flexibility in your working hours. So you can do all the things that you have to do, plus take care of work. There's no work-life balance. It's just a blur. So. Well, so on, on this podcast, we talk a lot about courage, right? The courage to, to lead um, intellectual courage, the courage to set aside your long-held beliefs and uh, the knowledge you have sets that aside to make room for brand new knowledge. Um, there's empathetic courage, there's social courage, moral courage, all these different things. I think that's coming to the forefront too with a lot of leaders, right? I think that they are being challenged in the way that they used to lead and looking at how I need to lead in this new environment. Um, Jeff, what are you seeing? You work with a lot of, of leaders, right? Sales leaders in their companies and stuff like that. How are they adapting to this? Well, I think that uh, I work with a lot of small business owners now who lead teams and don't have the benefit of working for a big organization like Lisa's where they get a lot of development. So they rely on people like me or Portia to do 
workshops or programs with them to help them become better leaders and to open their eyes to the the opportunities or the or the resources that are available to them is probably a better way of putting it. But you know, I think businesses exist to make money. Right. And I remember the first big leadership job I got, my my boss told me, you have three jobs. One, reestablish relationships with our distributors. Two, reestablish relationships with our people. And three, hit your revenue target. Right. And it wasn't necessarily, it wasn't in, in an order, a specific order, but those were the three things. And so at that point, I became a very people-centered leader, right? And I came to understand that if, if I did those first two things, the third thing would follow. If I treated people well, both the distributors and our people, that they would perform. And that's exactly what happened. So um, I guess there are two things that I would recommend to leaders today is to, one is to be bold or using your term courageous. And the second would be to, to be compassionate. That, you know, there was a point in time after 9-11 where I had to lay off 19 people out of 33 that worked for me. Every one of them had a story, a legitimate story, right? My mother's got cancer. My son just started college. My husband just lost his job. We just bought a house. My child had surgery last week. It was, right? And those are those are events and that are going on that in some instances as a leader, you don't know about. Um, but those are things I should know about or should have known about, right? It could have, it may not have impacted, it would not have impacted the decision to lay them off because that was a, that was a mandate, but it could have impacted how they were, how we handled that situation. Absolutely. So Portia, is this just the first wave that we're seeing? Um, is there more on the horizon? And if so, what do you what do you see? What element of wave are you referencing? <laughs> <laughs> like, there's so oh, much. There is so much going on. Exactly the the resignation, the, the walk away. I know that um, Klotz, Professor Klotz, said that he he thought things were going to continue through 2022, but then start tapering off. Is that what you're seeing, or you get a sense that this is like we're coming back to? Uh, you know, the dust is starting to settle or do you see other things coming up on the horizon? I would, I would agree that I do think it's going to continue through 2022. Um, I do think, you know, at some point it will level off. So I, I guess I would agree with that. Um, depending on the industry, depending on, you know, where, you know, in, in life, you know, someone is, they are taking action you know, in their time. So um, I think Lisa earlier was talking about, you know, that time and our people associating the event with, uh, you know, the behavior or the action afterwards, right? Correctly. So some people are just now resigning, right? Some people are still in planning mode. Um, we work with some individual clients and I will tell you that about 40% of them that I have talked to have all said, I want to work remote. They haven't re necessarily resigned from their job yet but it's in their mind. They're waiting for that opportunity. So I do definitely think it's going to continue through 2022 and, and into 2023. And I think a lot of it is going to also have to depend on how 
the pandemic evolves. I mean, I know to some people it's all but over <laughs> and, and other people are still cautious. Sure. Um, so I think that, you know, that and then health and, and numbers as far as COVID, all of that is going to have an impact, I think. Johanna, what are you seeing up there? Well, I, I have one client where they're, they're losing a lot of their senior leadership. And um, yeah, I think they've, they've wanted to refocus their attention on profits. They were, they were starting to shift towards like, let's just develop our leaders, let's support them. And they're shifting back to profits. Um, and that's what I'm seeing. And, and it's, it, I'm seeing a lot of them leave. And you know what Lisa said, sometimes you don't see the impact to the system right away. And they're like, you know what, but operational staff is still there. So we're still producing no issues, no worries. I'm like, it's going to take a while, but you're going to see the bleed. It's going to get bigger. Right. And so I, it's happening. I see it happening now. And I think if organizations don't shift their understanding, if you want to maximize the human potential across your workforce, to me, the key lies in the leadership. So understanding who you're hiring, how you're hiring, all of that and how you're developing them. Zenger and Folkman did this really cool study where they looked at companies in the S&P 500 and followed them over a 10-year period. And what they recognized was, I think it was about 40%. I hope I'm getting that right. But it was a significant amount of companies that were once in the S&P over a 10-year period dropped out. Hmm. So it made you great once, doesn't keep you great. And what they discovered was best investing in your leaders and making sure that all leadership supports the development of your leaders, expressing it, being intentional, is how you're going to stay within that, how you're going to continue to make those that money, right? And those profits, be in the S&P 500. That's what's critical. goes back to your people. And I, we call it, I call it leading through the heart. Mm -hmm. Equip your managers and there's how to lead through the heart and make that a part of the philosophy, right? And I think when we see that, we'll stop seeing the great resignation or whatever title you want to give it. That's what I believe, but I, I hope to start seeing that. Jeff, what do you think? Yeah. I hope that it doesn't stop. I hope that it continues. I think we need a, I think a business in North America needs a wake up call. People aren't leaving uh, just because they want to. They're, they're, they've got valid reasons for why they're sure. Right? And you and brought up earlier, they're, they're not they, leaving the job, right? Because they're usually going to another place doing the exact same job for another company that respects them and gives them right, the things they're looking for. Yeah, I think, they're, I think they, they feel emboldened. Mm -hmm. And until, until things change, it'll continue. I think it's kind of evolutionary. I think so. Well, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you guys coming on. We're running up against the hour. I'd like to go around. Any final thoughts? Lisa, final thoughts. Final thoughts. Uh, when I start to think about uh, signing bonuses and what you'll do to attract a new person, please don't be the cell phone company. Don't just give it to new customers. Yeah. Start to think about what you're doing to retain the people that you already have so that you don't have second, third, fourth waves of resignation. Final thought. Good deal. Neela, final thoughts? Yeah, I'm kind of with Jeff in that I hope it doesn't end because I think we're we're learning a lot but I think it will level off depending on how agile and uh, self-aware and empathetic organizations become how high is their EQ how quickly are they learning what to do for their employees Jeff I, the, the word that comes to mind for me is compassion that we need more compassionate leaders 
that uh, understand what people are going through and are comfortable uh, being vulnerable with their employees and uh, allowing their employees to be vulnerable with them. And, you know, building trust so that, so that their employees stay long. Trust and compassion. Absolutely. Portia, final thoughts? Got uh, two other C words to, to piggyback with Jeff. I mean, I think the words that come to mind for me are communication and culture. So I think in a lot of undercurrents of what we've all been saying, it's there's a lot to the communication, whether that be from the leadership team uh, down to other staff members or just how information is disseminated, right, throughout an organization or an email. Um, I think leaders and uh you know, organizations as a whole really need to be mindful of communication and how they're rolling things out. And then that leads to culture, right? So um, to that point of engaging, retaining um, top talent, it's the culture that's really going to uh, do that. And culture is what people have some control over now, as we're thinking about these changes when it comes to the pandemic and working styles and all of that. Absolutely. Good job. And Johanna. Yeah, thank you, Harlan. Um, you know, I, I do want it to see it stop because if it starts, meaning the, the bleed, right, people leaving, because hopefully if it's stopping, it's because of things have changed, not because people are deciding to suffer in silence, right? And so if we start to see a shift, let's figure out why that shift is happening and what are the benefits? And is it just because people are suffering in silence or things are actually changing? Because if it continues to go on for a long period of time, my concern is how many people are suffering, you know, and ultimately we're Companies exist to make the world a better place. And so if they're ignoring this, then how are they really providing services and products to make our lives better if they're not listening and changing? And so I do hope to see things to sh shift because if they do, maybe it's a positive sign that we're all changing as organizations, as companies, as people, as leaders. Very nice. Love that. Well, Dr. Joanna Pagonis, thank you. Portia Parker-Griffin, Jeff Bartholomew, Neelam Sharma, and Lisa Mezzatesta. Thank you guys again for being on the podcast. Thanks for your uh, contributions to this. Really appreciate your time. Um, listeners, I hope you guys were taking notes. A lot of good information here. Uh, definitely check out, uh, I'll have show notes uh, where there'll be some information that you guys can, can look up on your own. Um, and share this episode with anybody and everybody you know. <laughs> um, I think this is an important topic. And uh, yeah, stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan. Thanks so long for now.